turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm with Dr. John Phillips, and today we are going to be talking about innovative approaches to treating peripheral artery disease and other vascular conditions. Peripheral artery disease is a circulation issue, chronic circulation issue that mainly affects the legs. If left untreated, it could lead to heart attack, stroke, and even amputation. And the reason we want to talk about peripheral artery disease this time is it is Peripheral Artery Disease Awareness Month. And we have Dr. Jay Matthews, who treats peripheral artery disease in Brayton, Florida. Hey, Dr. Matthews, you're here. Hello. Hey, Kim. Thanks for having me on. Yes. And we have nurse practitioner Kay Smith with The Way to My Heart, who's here as well. Hi, Kay. I'm hoping Kay will unmute at some point. But meantime, we're going to go to Dr. Phillips for our inspirational quote for the day. Well, before we jump into that, Kim, I, I just have to ask, how's your dad doing? We've kind of heard the the saga for the last few weeks. I know he's on the mend and uh, things are pointing in the right direction. So yes. real quick, he's doing all right. Good. Two, good, good, good. He has two falls, three emergency room visits, his final surgery to fix his elbow this time on Wednesday. So he's on the mend. Fantastic. So, you know, I've been doing quotes for the last however many episodes. And, you know, nurse practitioner Kay has shared with me that she needs something a little bit more inspirational and potentially not necessarily a sports related quote. So I was racking my brain and I know she's from Scotland. So I, I found a couple of quotes that might, uh, you know, please her. The first one uh, just pertains to medicine. So Sir Alexander Fleming, who was the inventor of penicillin, he had kind of an interesting um, quote on, on the use of whiskey or bourbon. He said, a good gulp of whiskey at bedtime. It's not very scientific, but it helps. So I'll like, you know, I want Kay to think about that one. And then here was another one, a nice little Scottish proverb that said, wink at your small faults. Because you have certainly have great ones yourself. So it's important to make sure that we can, um, you know, we have a little tongue in cheek uh, um, uh, humor with ourselves. We can't take ourselves too seriously. But what is serious is peripheral arterial disease for sure. Uh, and you, you had mentioned the bagpipes. Have... Oh, the bagpipes. I didn't even hear that. Do it again. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, I can hear you kind of laughing in the background, just <laughs> chuckling a little bit. Uh, did the, did those quotes please you? Those quotes are amazing. 
<laughs> and okay. just to let Dr. Phillips know, whiskey is actually a Gaelic word and it means the water of life. Ah, very good. <laughs> I hope I hope you're pleased, Kay. And you know, I'm extremely pleased. Patients, she said when she was first doing her rounds in her, the beginning of her career, they would actually serve in the hospitals. Was it whiskey or scotch or a little bit of both to patients before bed? We had whiskey, we had sherry, we had Guinness, our stout, and we would take the medicine trolley along and we'd give them all a wee tot before they went to bed. <laughs> I want to be in that hospital. <laughs> the, the only time I ever prescribed alcohol, and Jay can probably attest to this, yeah. and we'll do at, the, at our VAs, so our Veterans Administration hospitals, uh, folks that are, have alcohol problems and we worry about them having withdrawals if they're not able to drink it. So it's cheaper, honestly, to give them a beer than it is to deal with the devastation that can occur from, from alcohol withdrawal. So we don't, we don't have a trolley though. Okay. With whiskey and and whatever else it was, maybe we should though. I know that would be a lot of fun. I think, I think so. <laughs> but uh, to the topic of the day, I wanted to introduce also um, Mike Matthews. He's our producer. Woohoo! Yay. Glad to Yay, have him Mike. here today. Hi everybody. Um, but we wanted to devote this show, um, especially being Peripheral Artery Disease Month, and this whole show we're dedicating to his mom who transitioned in February, actually the day before my mom, which is interesting. He and I, you know, share that unfortunate bond. But we're going to be sharing her story with Mike later on in the show. So definitely look forward to that. And thank you, Mike, for for sharing, um, you know, her her life and her story about her limb coming up. Absolutely. And I, I find it fascinating that you and I re-met this year because we had worked together years ago. And I had no idea we had that that unfortunate um, thing in common. And but and all the, the things that your organization takes care of could have helped her, I think, in some way, you know, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, definitely. So um, peripheral artery disease. Yeah, that is our topic of the day. And um, I, I want to get, you know, Dr. Matthews chiming in a little bit more. You know, we call him Dr. Miracle because <laughs> one of our patients called us late. She was the the mom was on deck for amputation uh, the next Tuesday. But late on a Friday night, I get this ring from nurse practitioner. Kay, hey, one of our patients uh, the wound doesn't look good. That's on her toes. Uh, we need to get her seen. Something needs to be done this weekend. Do you have a doctor on call? And of course, I'm ringing Dr. Matthews at what, eight, nine o'clock at night, Eastern time could have even been later. And I said, help. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, he said, what, you know, he's on call the next morning, get her to the emergency room, which was two, maybe an hour and a half, two hours away. The family left early in the morning. They get to the emergency room and the emergency room attendant was like, well, why did you drive this far? Why are you here? So they called nurse practitioner K. <laughs> and nurse practitioner K says, go ahead, K. <clears throat> they were just here spending the weekend with me and I happened to notice the wound and I'm a nurse practitioner and I thought she ought to drop into the hospital and see and get it seen. Yeah, pretending that she lives there in the area. I was going to say, can I? In Scotland. <laughs> I was going to say, can I ask a question here? How did you pull that off, Kay? So you were still you were in Scotland. Okay, I get it. So you just called it. <laughs> wow, this is a devious plan. I like it. But you know, we don't do we life and limb is our priority, and we were able right. to do that. And what's amazing is that 
you know, Dr. Matthews would have had to wait for the call from the emergency room to get him in there, but he already kind of knew in the back of his mind that this was coming. So he was already in the cath lab waiting. He was getting everything set up. Yep. <laughs> we were ready for call. it. He's like, I'm here. <laughs> oh, so you, you, you took her to the lab that night? That morning. Oh, yeah. yeah that, oh, we, oh, when, that when she came into the ER, we, we brought her to the lab about 30, 40 minutes later. Oh, nice. Nice. Which was amazing because he was already there. And so he was able, what, she lost a few toes, but she did not lose her leg. No, no, she did great. Um, it was uh, very challenging, though, and I understand why. You know, it's interesting. Her story goes back to 2016, and she had struggled with the total occlusion going back that far. So, you know, it's you know, it was almost five and a half years worth of occlusion, and then it just really progressively got worse. So, you know, amputation was what was on the table, and fortunately, it took about four and a half, well, almost actually essentially five procedures to to get her completely open, but you know, a lot of work and it turned out great in the end. Yeah, she's doing great. We get updates on her all the time and it's nice to hear in a yes. Um, It's a lot easier for some to just take 15 minutes and chop off a leg, you know, versus five procedures that each one could last up to two hours. But for the patient, what we have found is it's all about what it means to that patient as to what is a better quality of life. And, And that's really what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, we've been advocating for that ever since we started the show and obviously before that. But it's amazing when I've heard that some patients, they'll get consented for their procedure, meaning the angiogram and the amputation at the same time. So and I've heard these and they're kind of it's hard to believe. But again, you you as a patient are your best advocate and you've got to fight for your 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 limbs for sure. Yeah, we advise our patients to really read those very, very carefully those documents that would give them permission that if they fail in the angioplasty, that amputation, they would send them straight to the OR. So you have to be very, very careful. And we always advise for a second opinion before any amputation. We'll have more coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation. So stay with us. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. 
Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We're continuing our conversation regarding PAD Awareness Month in September. And we have Dr. Matthews as a guest, uh, as well as Kim and Nurse Practitioner Kay. So uh, this segment, we're going to kind of jump into innovations. Uh, you know, our show is called The Heart of Innovation. And so there's a lot of things kind of going around with respect to ways to treat people that have peripheral arterial disease, but also other blockages and, and other in veins and, and whatnot. But, you know, we've, we've touched on this. PAD affects about 20 million Americans. And, you know, I think at some point, Kim, we probably need to need to have a show on um, how it affects various segments of the population because it feels like it's disproportionately affecting you know minorities. But we struggle, I think, with um, providing getting patients to see the doc the right doctor for for the right disease process that can help them because we've got a lot of kind of new tricks uh, up and tools in our toolbox that can help us. Jay, why don't you share with us some some of the innovations that that you're seeing in at least let's start off maybe with the vascular or arterial vascular uh, processes. Yeah. So, um, you know, one fun thing that, uh, I get to do a lot of it and John does as well, obviously is, um, you know, I do spend a lot of time in the new technology sector cause it's, uh, I'm an engineer by training and background. And then know that. Yeah. So I've been involved in tech development for better part of, you know, 20 plus years or more. So, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's all, I've always been very drawn to it. So new stuff, new toys and whatnot to helping develop is a passion of mine. And, uh, you know, in the vascular space, there's been a lot of innovation every year. There's something new coming out and, uh, you know, finding better ways to treat a very difficult disease process. You know, something that uh, we talked about recently at one of our major uh, vascular meetings that, that now is essentially going to become ready for prime time is this concept of turning uh, veins into arteries. And uh, this is what's called deep venous arterialization procedures for folks that previously have had really, they call them so-called no option patients uh, now is a potentially other option for them when they don't really have targets to go after or arteries that are patent anymore. They're all blocked up and pretty much obliterated. You know, sometimes we can identify a vein that we can connect to the artery and then make that vein behave like an artery again and get more blood flow to the foot. And, you know, Combined with some very aggressive wound care and treatments, many times we can salvage limbs. And the data that's come out from this new procedure, and there's a, a commercialized uh, version of this called uh, the limb flow procedure, is uh, is very very promising, and I think it's very exciting as well too. And I think that their studies are are called the Promise studies. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's so that's like the extreme end of the spectrum, right? Those are the right. last ditch dish patients. <laughs> Are you seeing any new new things on the horizon with respect to, so for our listeners, sometimes we'll use stents, a metal scaffolding to kind of prop the vessel open. Anything new in stent development that you've yeah. seen? So there's a few uh, different things there too. Obviously, there's uh, this concept of uh, micro stenting or spot stenting uh, with little mini scaffolds. You know, typically in the past, we would have these really long scaffolds that would, uh, you know, it's a lot of metal, a lot of coverage kind of affects the normal functioning of the Right, vessel. and it's, it's used to keep open. So many people are familiar. So when you have an artery that's blocked up, you go into a diagnostic procedure called an angiogram, where they can pump in contrast fluid into your arteries underneath 
an X-ray, that contrast fluid allows them to see what's going on inside the vessels, where the blockages are, and they can send in wires. And then a balloon is slipped over the wire to what they say, dilate the vessel that pushes the plaque aside. And then in order to keep the vessel open, they use the scaffolding or otherwise known as a stent. Right. And, uh, you know, it, you know, it looks like a, a wire mesh or chicken wire and whatnot, too. And, you know, when you have a lot of metal in there, one of the problems is that they would tend to block up again. And so there have been new stents that have come out with special coatings or medications. But another concept is to leave as little behind as possible. So they've come out with these ultra short stents with different amounts of strength and whatnot, too, that tend to move more in in natural motion with the actual vessel itself. And so hopefully that's going to lead to longer term uh, 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 results and, you know, the vessel stay open longer. And that's particularly important, especially if a doctor has a little mishap, which happens quite a bit. Um, There are a lot of what are called dissections, right? And you get a little (laughs) flap, a piece of the artery that comes um, apart, and then they can actually take just a little bit. You know, I think one of them is called attack by Phillips. Um, And it just, you know, I don't know how you would, an analogy for that, but it's just, it's almost like a little paper clip, right? You just peel it and it just. Wallpaper. So, you know, if you're going to, literally they call it the tack, but imagine if you're going to tack up wallpaper, take a little staple. Just It's just, you've got this little tissue that's peeling off like wallpaper and you just need one little thing to kind of keep that tacked up. So that's exactly what it does. Rather than put this gigantic stent in there, you're able to put this one little piece of metal in there and it incorporates really well and it tends to stay open. And that's particularly important for below the knee vessels. Yeah, it's a yeah, and below. And actually, hopefully the, this technology is to be expanded to other vascular beds as well, too, in larger vessels. So there may be an opportunity because dissections happen in lots of spaces as well. So let's There's- touch on it. Can we touch on another subject? So it's always interesting to me when I talk to patients about they ask me, how are you going to open up this blockage? And I say, well, we're going to put a wire through it and then we're going to use a balloon to mm-hmm. kind of squish or move the plaque. The plaque is kind of the debris that builds up within the vessel wall. So they say, well, what are, what does the plaque go or what do you do with it? I'm like, well, we just right. kind of squish it away, but there's technology out there to remove, remove the plaque, right? Some atherectomy, anything new in the atherectomy space? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a few technologies out there that are coming out there. So atherectomy is essentially some type of tool that actually uh, removes the plaque Sometimes the plaque is composed of fat and calcium and fibrous tissues and sometimes clot as well, too. And if there's clot in there as well, that clot, unfortunately, if you're not careful, can go downstream and create more problems. So that's the reason why some people have shied away from atherectomy. But conceptually, it makes sense that if you got this big, you know, all this junk in there, you got to get it out of there before you try to put something else in. So um, some of the new technologies um, have kind of a hybrid approach where not only do they remove some of the looser stuff like clot, then they also remove the plaque as well, too. Mm. Uh, technology called Rotorex out there as well, too. That's a, a kind of a hybrid type device that does both. Uh, and then there's also other tools that are coming out there that, you know, optimize kind of sanding of this material as well, too. With right, different- and that is, I believe, with uh, CSI, the, yeah. the 360 yeah. device, the Diamondback. Um, my yeah. dad actually had that done in the coronary 
arteries oh, in his LAD and he's yeah. doing absolutely fantastic. You know, when he, before he hurt himself, 30, <laughs> 30 pushups on one breath, four and a half miles a day, even yeah. including Hills. And, you know, he had that diamondback that was used, um, the 360 device to sand down the artery. Both that reminds right. me, Kim, we, well, when he gets better, your dad with his elbows and stuff, we're going to have him do his pushups on air, right? Right. No, <laughs> we really have to have him do it. We'll have him do it right behind me as we're talking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's an exciting time. There's a ton of things that are coming out there in that regard. And I think, uh, uh, you know, we keep trying to push that, that field forward. Yeah. And it, we also, we have a couple lasers. You have the RN laser and you have, um, of course, uh, I think Spectronetics, the other uh, laser that's out there by Philips. But um, another interesting device we're hearing a lot more about. Can you explain uh, the shockwave or lip? Intravascular lip. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I think maybe we'll, we can touch on that a little bit more after the break, but I think it's a, that's a really exciting uh, technology I'd love to talk about. My symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients, and we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our LegSaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. We are continuing our conversation regarding kind of innovations, new technology in the peripheral arterial disease space. Please, if you have any questions, comments, don't forget to call in. The number is 888-367-5329. So just before we went to break, Dr. Matthews, we were kind of talking about some new technologies, and you had mentioned intravascular lithotripsy, which is, I think, kind of, it takes, uh, it's the kind of cousin, maybe, of, um, you know, lithotripsy for kidney stones, and they've incorporated it on a balloon to break up calcium. So tell us a little bit about more, a little more about that technology and, and how you use it and yeah. if, if it's working for you. So, yeah, there's, uh, there's actually uh, about five or six companies right now, too, that are working on technologies in this particular space. But, you know, one of the, one of the largest or the ones at the forefront right now is the Shockwave Balloon. CSI has one that's coming soon after as well. But the idea is that you have these 
electrical emitters inside of a balloon that uh, creates sound waves. Just like you would do lithotripsy for a kidney stone, these sound waves break up calcium. And it may be a potentially safer way to break apart this calcium without getting a whole bunch of debris going downstream and allow these very hard, non-pliable vessels to become a lot more flexible again. It allows us to put in stents, allows us to yield vessels in both uh, peripheral arterial disease patients and also coronary disease patients. Do you, do you use it pretty regularly? Or um, I know yeah. I, I know it's not cheap, so obviously no, you have to pick the, and choose, right? You know, there, there's a number of uh, reasons why it can be attractive to use, uh, um, and uh, uh, you know, especially uh, you know, within peripheral vessels. I think that uh, um, uh, you know sometimes. Uh, some of the traditional atherectomy devices may not necessarily uh, uh, get to all of these uh, uh, lesions, especially because of the size and whatnot, too. And then, of course, there's that worry that you're going to send stuff downstream. So I do use it fairly regularly as well uh, in both coronary arteries and also in the peripheral vessels as well. Uh, it, you know, it's actually it was a huge uh, improvement uh, for uh, uh, for coronary disease patients because in the past, especially in hospitals that didn't have uh, cardiac surgeons on site, you know, now we have a technology that you can use in those hospitals fairly safely without really having to worry about, you know, uh, the higher risk of perforation. So I think it's becoming something that's a lot more commonplace as well. Uh, and in the past, we would have these issues where, you know, people would try to yield these vessels in the quarries and the peripheral arteries uh, and then really get a suboptimal result. And then you put a stent in the stent. You know, you, they, we call it stent regret, where the stent isn't fully expanded. And this is a way of potentially allowing these vessels to fully expand and potentially getting better outcomes long term. And we have Douglas, who's on the line from Texas. You have a question for us, Douglas. Yes. Uh, it's about PAD. Uh, I know with lifestyle changes and medications that go a long way, in helping us manage our PAD and the risk factors, but how much does PAD affect other parts of our body in the new technology out there now? Does that also come into play, like with the heart conditions or the liver or whatever that our PD, PAD affects? And I want to take Douglas and I for Paul for Pat are already kicking it. Yeah, Douglas, that's a great question. We know that about. of patients have overlap between PAD and coronary disease, uh, and about 10 or so have overlap with PAD and and vascular, cerebrovascular disease concerning for stroke. So what we've talked about and what what I always tell my patients is you're not probably not going to die from your PAD unless obviously you have a very severe form of it, but you're more likely to die from a heart attack or stroke. And that's why it's really important that when you see your primary care doctor or your cardiologist or interventional radiologist or vascular surgeon that they're asking you about your vascular kind of whole, the global vascular picture. So your heart and, and, and your, um, your brain. Dr. Matthews, do you want to weigh in? Yeah. I mean, I agree with that completely. I mean, I, I think of, uh, PAD is kind of the window to, to, to everything else as well, too. So, you know, a lot of times when patients get referred to me for, for their legs or other uh, vascular complications, I immediately start screening them uh, uh, um, uh, for other types of uh, conditions as well, too, especially coronary disease cerebrovascular disease. So I think it's important to, to, uh, to look at the whole picture and look at the whole patient. And, uh, you know, these technologies... They're helpful in, uh, in allowing us to treat these other conditions, 
but you have to recognize that, uh, you know, it may lead you down other pathways as well to, uh, to recognize other uh, comorbid issues. So that's a kind of a great segue. And Kim, if we could maybe pivot to some of the innovations within medical, like medicines that folks are, are taking, um, you know, I'm recommending patients take a little bit of an anticoagulant uh, if they have peripheral arterial disease, because I think there's really good data to support uh, that notion. Anything, Jay, and on the horizon, maybe new new medications or, and I think maybe if we have time, we can talk about technology with respect to early di- earlier diagnosis or using kind of um, IT stuff to help help get folks um, yeah, plugged yeah. in. One of our favorites is is AI. Um, and I know that that's one of, uh, Dr. Matthews as well in terms of, and we'll get to that moment, but I want to mention that a lot of our patients are on, um, a newer drug, Celostazol. Um, mm-hmm. can you talk about how that works and, and why more doctors are prescribing that for peripheral artery disease in particular? Yeah. Celostazol is interesting because it's actually not a new medicine. It's been around for a long time. It's generic. interesting. We're just seeing it though, more and more in what the well, past year. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is because I think that's just awareness because the data with Celostazol is old data. It's been around for a long time. They used to compare another drug called Patoxifilin, which is Trentile is the other name for it. And Celostazol or Pletel, uh, it improves walk distance. It it, it vasodilates vessels. It may help uh, have some antiplatelet functions as well, too. So I think that, um, uh, you know, patients who take Celostazol and are able to tolerate it, they uh, they tend to walk farther. They have, uh, I think, less PAD symptoms. And so I think the awareness is finally getting out there. This is a cheap drug. It's been around for a long time. Uh, and it has a lot of benefits for certain patients. And we have about one minute to mention AI because I, what innovation <laughs> are you seeing around that? That's a loaded question. Well, AI yeah, is a gigantic topic. With 60 seconds to go. <laughs> <laughs> quick, Jay, yeah. quick. So in the PAD space, AI is being used to try to identify patients sooner. Once you actually, you could even say, send a, a picture of a wound and, and the algorithm could try to figure out what the optimal method of assessment could be, what treatment plans could be, uh, what types of tests you could do. And then if you have data like an angiogram, use that information to inform a decision as to what to do. It's, it's a pie in the sky type thing. But we, as we feed these algorithms more information, they get smarter and better. Yeah. I'm a great advocate of AI and of VR. So I use VR myself for chronic pain. Yeah, VR actually got Kay out of a wheelchair and walking more than 3,000 3, steps in the course of a month. Yeah. Wow. And VR is virtual reality? Virtual reality, yeah. Ooh, we might have to talk about that when we come back from break. That's pretty <laughs> curious to me. Well, speaking of which, here we go. Medical Notepad, brought to you by patient advocacy organizations, take a stand against amputation, and the way to my heart. Is your vascular center scheduling a consult for you with a nurse practitioner instead of a doctor? Hi, I'm nurse practitioner Kay Smith, with more than 40 years experience in vascular health, with this week's Medical Notepad. So let's talk about why your vascular centre may schedule you for a consult with a nurse practitioner versus a doctor. It's an important discussion, but it's happening more and more often these days with many areas experiencing it because of physician shortage. 
You need to know that you are not sacrificing the quality of care, having a nurse practitioner versus a doctor. In fact, with so many patients who have peripheral artery disease or PAD, which is a restricted blood flow in the leg arteries, who are concerned that they don't get enough education about the disease from their doctor. A nurse practitioner will be a breath of fresh air because disease prevention, health education, they're ingrained in our training and it really enhances our clinical interaction with our patients. So we're likely to spend more time with you. A nurse practitioner does not have more, has more training than a nurse, but less training than a doctor. And a nurse practitioner is qualified to diagnose and treat acute conditions. We can order diagnostic tests such as x-rays, lab work, CT scans, and even an angiogram. We can write prescriptions, but only under the supervision of a physician. Some even serve as primary care providers and manage a patient's overall care. So nurse practitioners, they can even get board certified for a speciality such as vascular health. And some speciality clinics train us on additional responsibilities to support our physicians, which you may experience at a vascular facility of your choice. At times, we are the only ones you see for a consult to schedule an angiogram, as the clinical physician may spend most of the time actually performing the limb-saving procedures. This may be also the fact that I'm the physician or the clinician that will do your follow-up consult post-procedure. So what are the limitations of a nurse practitioner? Well, we can't perform your surgery and we must always be under the supervision of a physician. While a nurse practitioner can do a lot, we are not trained doctors. So when it comes to vascular, it's critical for you to understand what you need to determine if a nurse practitioner is right for you or whether you need to request a consult with a physician. Always ask for a physician consult if you ever have a question or Even the smallest concern, you should never think twice. It's your life and it's your limb that's at stake. You deserve to feel confident in the care that you're about to receive. Here is some critical information you may need as a PAD patient, but if the nurse practitioner cannot provide it to you, then you need to request a follow-up appointment with that physician. You need a comprehensive explanation of your disease state. Now, that may include... What is causing the plaque to help build up in your arteries? And if we don't know, what tests can we order to help us get to the bottom of it? Also, where are the blockages or the narrowing in the vessels as well as the percentage of the blockage? You need to have a candid discussion on the short-term and the long-term strategy for treatment and management. Ask, can you refer me to a walking programme? smoking sensation program and or a dietitian if necessary. If the nurse practitioner is suggesting that the next step is an angiogram or surgery and you won't see the physician until you're actually on the table, I would suggest asking about the physician's approaches, the tools, the techniques that he uses or, or she uses. A nurse practitioner should have had a physician review your case before prior to scheduling any angiogram and would be able to discuss the physician's skill set, 
initial plan of action, and their success rate in cases that are just like yours. And if they can't, request a pre-operative consultation with the physician prior to the angiogram. With this week's medical notepad, I am nurse practitioner Kay with the way to my heart.org. Medical Notepad is a series for educational and informational purposes only. Advice offered is not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this series without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. For more information on peripheral artery disease, go to standagainstamputation.com and for peripheral artery disease support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. And before the break, we were talking about peripheral artery disease and innovations around treatment and Uh, We had mentioned VR virtual reality and how nurse practitioner Kay was able to get out of a wheelchair and start walking using virtual reality. Kay, why is it that virtual reality worked for you when just walking in general didn't? It's because virtual reality is licensed now by the FDA and it's licensed for the use in chronic pain. Um, and obviously the fact that I was wheelchair based was because of my back, not because of my pad. So I use virtual reality and it takes me on adventures so I can go scuba diving. I can walk through a safari. I can go, um, up into the space. I can go anywhere. And because I'm not feeling pain and you don't feel pain for about another two or three hours after using it. It literally got me out of that chair and it got me walking again. And so it just kind of switches. There's something that the way it works, it switches something in your brain. Yeah, you're using your sort of like your subconscious rather than your conscious. And it takes you into a completely different reality. And Dr. Matthews, what do you know about VR and and its use for PAD? Well, I mean, it's it's actually, it's interesting. So uh, I do work with a company called Penumbra. They created an entire uh, video gaming division uh, uh, of this, uh, it's a traditionally thrombectomy company. It's called, and they have a system called Real, which uh, was initially developed for stroke rehab purposes. You know, it's a you know VR system combined with uh, what's called haptic feedback. So it's got very uh, advanced sensors uh, and uh, f- actual tactile feedback that you get in your hands uh, while you're using these systems. And so. Uh, the plan with the system, uh, you know, initially it's for stroke rehab to rewire the brains of people who have had, you know, uh, severe immobility or uh, other limitations after stroke events can learn to reuse their limbs, uh, learn to walk again, learn to become coordinated again through various types of games. But the applications are far beyond just your stroke and also ex- extend, obviously, to patients with peripheral arterial disease. Uh, other types of uh, cardiovascular conditions as well, too, to encourage exercise, uh, even 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 as far as uh, personal health and whatnot, too. So there are a lot of projects that are currently in this uh, realm going on uh, to try to come up with systems that patients can use very easily. And the, the, the real challenge is going to be to get this to as many people as possible and the different models that will exist to do that. Yeah, that, sound, that, that sounds really fascinating. 
Right now, guys, we're going to have our Save My Piggy segment. You know, this is our segment that's devoted to patient advocacy and really allows patients to tell their PAD journey, their PAD story. We're welcoming producer Mike. He's our Save My Piggy guest. He's doing this in kind of memory of his mom, Christina, who succumbed to complications from peripheral arterial disease, right? So, Mike, welcome. I mean, you are part of the show. You are the show, but uh, welcome. (laughs) For the I'm Save pressing My the segment. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, why don't you just share with us, uh, you know, your mom's your mom's story? Oh, she was, you know, full of life, loved to walk. Came from Germany in the '60s, and you know, started as an au pair in Bel Air of all places, uh, and you worked her way through California. Finally, having me, and then uh, she moved to Florida because she got tired of California, and she was a little more right-leaning, so she wanted to move to Florida, and she loved it there, but then something happened. She was playing hopscotch. Is that the one where you jump? Yeah. And and she hurt her foot that day, and from then on, stuff started going weird with her left leg, uh, like the the different veins, and would I guess they were starting to deteriorate in her leg, and she would go... the arteries. The arteries, and... When you were talking about stints earlier, oh, I heard that word so many times over the, I think it was about a 15-year period where it was just... So, so Mike, your mom had issues with PAD for many years, right? Yes. Yeah, over, well over a how, decade. How many procedures do you, do you think she had in an attempt to save the piggies and, and preserve that left leg? I would say at least 10. Okay. Wow. Was, yeah. Over the course of 15 years? Yes. And what did it include? Uh, of course, there's the angioplasty with the balloons pushing the plaque aside. And you mentioned a lot of stents. Did she also have a bypass where they reroute the flow using veins or a graft? Yes, I think they did use different veins that they would put into her uh, graft. I'm not sure about, but yeah, they tried that. Uh, I remember she had to do a test where she they put different um, colored fluids in her body, the contrast to, fluid. Yeah, she, I remember her saying, "Oh, it, it felt really warm. It was a bizarre feeling." Um, but yeah, they did that. Um, and it, it like yeah, did, just, did your mom? So folks that have peripheral arterial disease often have some risk factors: um, tobacco use, um, diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol. Did your mom have a lot of that, or was it? Yeah, she had been a, a smoker her whole life. Okay. And uh, the doctors did tell her many times, you know, you should probably quit. And she said, well, I'm I'm in my 70s. Now I'm in my 80s. I'm not going to quit anytime soon. So, uh, but yeah, it just kept coming back. And I I, I know they gave her blood thinners and, uh, you know, along with all the surgeries, it would be fine for a while, be maybe for even a couple of years, but then something would come back all of a sudden. And then ultimately... She ended up um, having to have an amputation, correct? Yeah, that was about uh, five, six years ago. And she ended. And what was the catalyst for that where they said there's nothing more that can be done? Yeah, they said, basically, this leg's going to kill you. Um, you, you. You have to say goodbye to it, basically. So it, it sounds like the leg probably got infected or the foot got infected beyond repair. How did that affect your mom, the amputation, as well as loved ones, yourself and, and other family members with respect to having to kind of help her out and deal with that. It's loss. interesting. You know, she was divorced twice 
uh, and the love of her life. She met the love of her life towards the end of her life. And around that time was when she knew him and he was so kind to her and took care of her um, and helped her get, you know, I guess motivated to, to take on this huge task of learning to walk without your both legs and, and getting used to the, the uh, well, she got very, very used to that. Um, and she was able to walk again with the prosthesis. The prosthesis, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say a fake leg, even though she put uh, to- toenail polish on on the toes of the foot because uh, she loved to wear sandals all the time. But yeah, she got used to it, and I saw her back in October, just a few months ago, and she was walking without the cane, like holding onto a, a rail on the side. But she was standing up and, and walking pretty quickly. So she had gotten used to it, but yeah, it was, it was a definitely a very, one of the toughest things she had to get used to. But then unfortunately in, in February, she ended up having a fall. Yeah. Uh, get somehow I wasn't there. Nobody was there when it happened, but she somehow fell out of the uh, wheelchair and it uh, fractured a hip and they took her to the hospital and all kinds of complications ensued. Um, Primarily what I heard from the doctors afterwards was the uh, blood pressure dropped significantly. Sounds like your mom was pretty remarkable in the closing of the segment. Mike, what do you think your mom, would your mom tell any, anything to our listeners about her journey or tobacco use or things of that nature? I mean, if, if you could do it over again, do you think she'd maybe try to stop smoking or, or change anything? I would, of course, I would say to everyone, don't smoke. <laughs> that's a, that's a very difficult thing to, uh, to, to, to try and quit. My mom dealt with it her whole life. Uh, but yeah, if you can stop, that would be the best. Uh, even doctors were telling her uh, as late as in her eighties, you, if you quit now, you can still probably help yourself. But yeah, she, but I guess, um, have a good team behind you. It was tough in Florida where she was, and, and I wish she would have known Heart of Innovation and, and weighed my heart because it would have helped her a lot. And, uh, yeah, just to have good people behind you would be the best. Get support. Good support behind you. Yeah, that that is definitely the case. I mean, the way to my heart dot org is really a great place to go for people who have questions, who want to know if they're getting the right treatment, if they want second opinions, and if they just you want a friend in health. I think that that's really important as well. And I wish we would have known um, her, you know, three or four years ago, uh, you know, because we started in 2019, I would have felt honored to help Krista. And we feel so blessed, Mike, for you sharing her story. And I know how much you, you love her and she's still with you today. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Dr. Phillips. You're welcome. Thanks for being a part of Save My Piggies. All right. All right. So we've got about a minute left. It's been a great show. I think we have less than that now. We've got less than that. So, Dr. Matthews, one innovation that you have 30 seconds, one innovation that you're really fired up about. What is it? Listen, there's not just any one innovation. There's lots of things. Technology is amazing. We're advancing dramatically. Uh, And something new that's coming out as well, too, is non-invasive perfusion mapping. So being able to look at wounds and trying to figure out how much oxygen is in there. I think that's a really exciting technology. We're going to be able to look at uh, people with uh, non-healing ulcers and hopefully figure out, are we doing a good job? So I think that's a really new technology coming up. 
Jay, thanks for being on the show. We've got like 30 seconds left. It is Kim's birthday tomorrow, so we have to wish her happy birthday. Happy birthday, Kim. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room.